Ezekiel chapter 37 this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to um, take them and turn there. It'll take a minute. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Dan. Remember, it comes together. <clears throat> Happy Father's Day to every single one of the dads, the grandpas, the paps, the pop-pops that are out there. Happy Name Tag Sunday Day as well. When I was little, 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 two and a half, three and a half, you just starting, I used to write my name backward. Instead of T-I-M, it was M-I-T. Okay? And now I've conquered that. However, this morning I, I was put on my name tag. I, I was in the bathroom, just got to check it. And I looked in the mirror, I'm like, oh no! <laughs> it happened again. But no, um, it was the mirror this morning. A wonderful reminder as we have God's word open before us, I have the wonderful privilege of preaching this morning on the subject of preaching. So we are, those of you that are maybe just joining us, we preach expositionally, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We've been in the book of Genesis for um, about five months. So for the summer, I decided to just take a pause from that for a summer series, and we look at Church 101, really basic, why we do what we do. And so one of those subjects that you hear a lot about here is the subject of preaching. That's the reason we will give our attention to that subject this morning. Before we go any further, let's bow our heads and ask for the Lord to bless us as we, Lord willing, listen and learn this morning. <clears throat> Father, we love you. We thank you for another day. You've sustained us through the evening and you've gathered us here together on your day. We thank you for every person that is here. I think, Lord, of individuals that are going through difficult struggles right now. Father, I would ask that you would minister to them. Be close to them. Encourage their hearts. Lord, help others to be made aware of that so that we can come alongside and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you've done that for us with the greatest burden we could ever, ever, ever face, our own sin. Father, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I would ask, Lord, that you would minister to us today through your word, that you would be encouraged, that you would be blessed as a result of our faithfulness to give attention to your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We dial that back just a little bit. If you were to go, which I'm sure that you've done on numerous occasions, if you go to www.bigwoods.org backslash there's a section on our website FAQ frequently asked questions and there's one question that says this the Bible seems to be a big deal at Big Woods why is that the response is this we believe the Bible is inspired by God without error that the word of God is the ultimate and final authority and our source for truth, 2 Timothy 3.16. For more about how we view the Bible, visit BFNM, Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Click here. And then there's another question following that. It says this, preaching also seems to be pretty important at Big Woods. Question, why is that? Response. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and told them that it was through the foolishness of preaching that God chose to save people. 1 Corinthians 1.21. At Big Woods, preaching is the most important aspect of our worship service. For it is during the preaching service, the gospel is proclaimed and believers are instructed, edified, rebuked, and encouraged. End quote. Now, just to be clear here, as we kind of launch into the subject, there's actually two different words in Greek for preach or preaching. One we're very familiar with, caruso, it means to announce in an official capacity. 
to publicly proclaim a message or to herald. The other word preach is euangelizio. It means to tell specifically the good news or to preach the subject of the gospel by way of an introduction. Now the last time that we were together, I spoke on the subject of diversity that exists within the local church. That amongst this group, there's people from different backgrounds, kind of socioeconomic, there's age represented, there's racial differences, ethnic, diversity. There's people that have grown up in the church, and there's people that have not grown up in the church. So this is totally new for them. My personal story, I grew up in the church. So even since I was very little, and I would go to church, I was brought to church by my parents, and I would tell you this, I loved seeing the people. And I, and I enjoyed the singing component. And I could handle at least the praying part, but I will be honest, for a long time, the preaching segment was just way too much. It was just way too long for me. My earliest recollection was Dr. Bill Randolph and Pastor Glenn Blossom. And to be honest, I just didn't get it. I longed for the days when I was in junior church where we could eat Utz's pretzel rods and I would pretend that I was smoking a cigar. They were the good old days. And now I just didn't get it. I like the stories and the illustrations that were used, but I struggled, in all honesty, just to sit still. Matter of fact, you probably know Wendy is very thankful even today that I'm a pastor who gets to preach on Sunday because I do not sit still during church very well. And so I totally, totally, totally am aware. Think about this. An hour, we push it, an hour and a half long service. 30, 40, 45 minutes of preaching. That's a lot. And so we ask this question literally, what is this about why? And it literally took me years for me to learn that something bigger is actually happening here. It's really, 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 honestly, let me tell you, it's not about one guy that's just kind of jawing on while other people kind of fight from falling asleep. It's not that. And what has happened over the years, in all honesty, is I love, I love to sit and to listen and to learn. Whenever I sit under the preaching of the Word of God, I personally take notes. It just helps me to pay attention. But think about this, the whole speaker-listener thing, apart from what a classroom, this just does not happen very often today. What is it about? So before we kind of shrug it off, with a sigh, you need to know that not only is something bigger happening, something bigger is at stake here. Before Paul wrote that phrase that I just referenced on our own website, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, about the foolishness of preaching, before he wrote that, in verse 18, right before it, he writes this. For the word, the word... Of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power. It's the word in Greek, dynamis, where we get our word dynamite from. It is the power of God. That's the reason that after that, in verse 23, he writes this. We preach Christ and Christ crucified. Very clear. It's almost as if Paul is saying, I don't have anything else to preach. It's almost as if Paul is saying, I don't need to preach anything else but the cross. Because why? Because at the cross that we speak about, and we will celebrate what happened on the cross in a few moments. At the cross, everything, everything, 
everything changed. The broken, broken pieces of a life are actually put together and made whole again at the cross. The sick are healed at the cross. And the blind are able to see. And those that once were lost are found. Those that understand, acknowledge their own sin, it's forgiven at the cross. Those who live in, in, in what complete confusion, like they don't know what's going on. It what? It comes into focus and there's a sense of clarity at the cross. Those that live their lives purposeless, like with no direction, I have no idea. I'm just, I'm just here to eat food and, and buy junk and toys. They have no purpose at the cross. They're given purpose. It's all because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And it's not about Paul. Or for that matter, it's not really about any other preacher. Paul says this, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not only with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Verse 17, we're actually working our way backwards in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Many people don't realize that in the church, the supernatural is normal. It happens all the time. And it normally happens through the, the normal means of grace of preaching this morning. That's why I call it. I want us to hear. And I want us to see. And I want all of us to learn how preaching is in ordinary means of extraordinary grace. June the 10th, 1886, Charles Spurgeon, referred to as the Prince of Preachers in England. One of my favorite preached a message entitled Christ and his co-workers. And he says this, I quote, listen carefully. A great many learned men are defending the gospel. No doubt it's a very right and proper thing to do. Yet I always notice that when there are most books of that kind, it's because the gospel itself is not being preached. Suppose a number of persons were to take it into their heads that they had to defend a lion, a full-grown king of beasts. There he is in the cage, and here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Spurgeon says, well, I should suggest to them if they would not object and they feel that it's too humbling to them, that they should kindly stand back, open the door, and let the lion out. I believe that would be the best way of defending him. For he would care for himself. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let the lion out. And see who will dare approach him. You understand here, number one, here's my first point this morning. Preaching matters. Preaching matters. The fact that preaching is God's mean to accomplish the supernatural should really not come as a surprise to us. Why? Because after all, go back in our series in Genesis, everything that God created in the world, every person that God created was created by the power of his spoken word. God speaks. Something happens. Turned in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. It's interesting that whenever we read to our grandchildren their little illustrated Bible, oddly enough, even little ones, they don't want to hear about Noah and the ark or Daniel and the lion's den. The story that they go to is not David and Goliath. It's not even Jesus walking on water. Instead, they always want us to go to the depths of the Old Testament that you just turned to in Ezekiel chapter 3. This is fascinating for them. Now, it's a different word in Hebrew. It's actually the word prophesy instead of preach. But they both refer to the spoken word of God and the power that exists in it. Let's consider this. <clears throat> it's a little bit of a, of a text here. Is it a little loud? Just echoing. But it's not 
my words. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold a, a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone. And looked, behold, there were, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied. As he had commanded me. And the breath came into them. And they lived. And they stood on their feet. In exceeding. Exceedingly. Great army. The word of the Lord. It's, it's hard to imagine. Isn't it? I think this is why our grandkids are fascinated with this. Like it doesn't really make sense. A man Ezekiel speaking to dead bodies. But, but it's God's word that brought them, that brings them to life. Think about it. That's exactly what happens throughout the entirety of the New Testament. John chapter 1 and verse 14. Jesus, what is the word, made flesh and dwelt among us. He taught God's people. And what happened when Jesus opened up? Lives were changed. Paul's preaching. Peter's preaching. Think about Peter vacillating, uncertain, kind of terrified weakling. By the time he's in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes upon him and his preaching ignites the church. It says those who received his word were about 3,000 who were added to the church. It was the apostles' faithful teaching that sustained the church. Remember Paul telling young Pastor Timothy, preach the word! What is it today? Pastors called and gifted by God are to give careful attention to the study, to the preaching of the gospel. And what happens? It strengthens and I believe it expands the church. And we see this important point. That God's word is central to the identity of God's people. Let me say it again. God's word is central to the identity of God's people. Now think about biblical Christianity. What happens here? It certainly includes a spiritual experience. We can all speak to that. Biblical Christianity includes what? Hopefully a warm community. Together. Hopefully what? It includes kind acts of service. We care for one another. We care for those outside the church. But I want to tell you this, it's not primarily about those things. They're not bad. But it's not primarily about that. Biblical Christianity, first and foremost, is what? It's a message. It's a message that can be supported, that is based on historical fact. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says what? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Fact. Hundreds of eyewitnesses. So that what? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. That's what we call the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And the preaching of that message is the source of life to our church and to any church that is founded upon the word of God. Now notice well what happens when church, churches, they go light on preaching. And we hear it all over the place and we see it. Well, we can't bore people. I mean, goodness. The book was written a thousand, what, two thousand years ago. So we've got to get a crowd. We've got to try to keep a crowd. And so what happens is that there's a, a pithy kind of 14-minute story time. Or maybe what, an object lesson or a pastor who doubles as a stand-up comedian. Or there's a light show or a drama production or just a talk. We're just going to have a talk. Now, all of those things are okay. They're okay. As long as they do not replace the preaching of the word of God. People get so afraid today. We, we can't offend. We can't, we can't bore people. We can't, we can't go too long. And so what happens and this does happen. They erase it. They ignore or omit the full counsel of Scripture. So what happens? There's no direction for the body. There's no authority. There's no voice to speak. There's no counsel that is given. There's no challenge to live different. And what happens? What happens? People don't know the gospel. They can't articulate the gospel. They're not learning in it. They're not growing in it. They can't share it. And what happens as a result? You get an entire church of anemic, malnourished, starving. Take a look around our own community at the number of churches that have been boarded up and sold and turned into something else where there's a few holding on with 14 old people. What? We can't offend. And so what happens? And not only the past generation, but we think about the present and future. Sarah Eckhoff Zeistra writes this, it's not a surprise that Gen Generation Z has low biblical literacy. They're less likely than previous generations to be familiar with the Bible, to know how to use it, or to believe the Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful, purposeful life. Quote, in my experience, most of them will claim that they're an atheist. Tony Dentman from Reformed University Fellowship at the University of Illinois in Chicago said, however, once we're talking, I tell them, what an atheist is, they're actually finding out that they're not an atheist, they're agnostic. Which means that they don't know about God, they don't care about, and don't even know if it's worth trying to find out. That's, that's the generation that is now upon us. That's what we live in amongst us. So not only does preaching matter, but I would even add to that, number two, specifically, expositional preaching matters to the health and the strength of the local church. And there's no doubt that you can have preaching and still see nothing extraordinary take place or, or nothing supernatural as a result. Why? Because not all preaching is faithful. Whenever you hear nine secrets to a successful life, you want to be careful there. Not all preaching is faithful. And not all people are faithful listeners. Remember, there's a responsibility on two parties here. The Apostle Paul literally railed against anyone, Galatians chapter 1. I mean, he was direct. Railed against anyone to preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one that we preached to you. He says, let him be a curse. Let him be anathema. In a sense, let him be damned. So we know that there's preaching that is not faithful. And we also know that what? The word can be preached accurately and there is no response. Jesus Christ himself. People listened and it says that they went away. What? Think about the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. 
He went away sorrowful. He didn't hear. So what kind of preaching is accurate to the text, yet intersects with the needs of where the body is at? What kind of preaching will supernaturally bring to life what us dry, dead bones? In a word, you can write this down. In a word, it's preaching that exposes a passage of Scripture to us. Preaching that exposes. That's where that word, what, expository or expositional preaching comes to mind. One of the men I was privileged to sit under for a brief window was Dr. Haddon Robinson, who wrote a book called Biblical Preaching. I went back this week and just read portions of it. It is just great stuff. The guy had the biggest ears in the entire world, and it was hard for me to sit and kind of pay attention for him a while. He's now with the Lord, and he doesn't care about his ears. I was listening just this week to him preach a message. Just, just, just the way he crafted it. It was on Mary and Martha, the same text that we heard last week, as a matter of fact, from someone else. Ted Robinson entitled the message, Don't just do something, sit there. That's just great word crafting. That's, that's Haddon Robinson. That's expository preaching. It's designed to explain a particular passage of Scripture so that what? The main point of the sermon is the main point of the passage. The main point of the sermon is the main point of the passage. The alternative to what? Expositional preaching is topical preaching where the preacher determines the primary point he wants to communicate and then builds the text around that to support that and you can preach on a lot of good topics that are out there prayer evangelism marriage holiness creation or you can preach on the subject of preaching such as today let me say everyone topical preaching is in no way bad and we have messages like this for a purpose on occasion at this church but, but a preaching schedule that is predominantly expositional will grow a congregation better with more lasting results. Why is that? Because what? As a preacher preaches expositionally, moving what successively through verse after verse, passage after passage, week after week, the congregation begins to understand a couple th key things here is that what God's word is setting the agenda, not a man. You know what happens is what I've noticed after 20, 25 years of preaching? You can't avoid hard texts of scripture. You know those verses like, oh, that's going to really, really rattle some people today. You have to go through it. Which means God determines the agenda and you can't skip over because it's there. Another thing that happens when a pastor preaches scripture in context is he takes the point of the passage as the point of the message. He and the congregation together, we hear from God and we learn things that, that, that the pastor didn't even know before he started to study. Like, I'm learning. And it kind of flows through and sifts through so that we together learn. Why? Because the word of God is unfathomable. It's, a, it's, it's continually kind of mining out. The diamonds and the gold. Lastly, I think most importantly, expositional preaching teaches a congregation, teaches you how to read God's word for yourself, how to study God's word for yourself. So important. You've heard this. You've heard the saying, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach him to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. That, that's what is to happen where you're learning to study this word yourself. The same is true here when we hear and use the sermon week after week to teach us faithful what? How for you to be faithful explainers to other people. Like this is, this is step one of the process. Learning this helps you explain it to other people. Learning this helps you what? Become faithful appliers. Which we're going to look at in just a moment 
of Scripture. Previous to Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel chapter 36, and says what? I will remove a heart of stone, and I will place in you a heart of flesh. A man can't do that. I don't care how long, I don't care how much education, I don't care what the background, a man cannot replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, which brings us to our third and final point. Preaching brings God's word and God's people together. We can't just stop because preaching isn't just what's happening here, exposition of the word of God. It's an exposition of the word of God plus God's people coming together. When when I explain what I do for a living, I tell people I, I love people and I love the word of God. My job is just bring those two things together. That's all my responsibility is. And I can assure you that God is glorified when his word is preached and no one responds. God is still glorified. But God is more glorified when the word is preached and we are changed as a result of that. So what happens when God's word intersects with God's people? The first thing is application. You hear something and you apply this. Most obviously, we are to apply what you've heard. It says what? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We're not to be hearers only, but doers of the word. Consider the weight of responsibility that rests on your shoulders. Not just mine. It's on me. The responsibility that rests on your shoulders when you hear a gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, God-glorifying message. The responsibility that is on you to take what you've heard and now what? Put it into your life. If I am preaching or Aaron is preaching or Stuart or Robbie, if we have faithfully and responsibly preached the full counsel of the word of God, guess what? Our job is completed and now the responsibility is on you. It's kind of like a meal has been served and it has been placed in front of you. Guess what? You got to pick up the fork. Same picture, same exact picture. I honestly believe that there are some things that you can do on a regular basis to help apply the words of the sermon. Number one, don't text during church. Really, really simple on that one. Here's another one. Haley sends out a need to know. Read the passage ahead of time. Pray for the one who is preaching. Don't text during church. Take notes. It helps you pay attention. Get a good night's sleep before you come to church. And don't text during church, especially during the sermon. It's going to help you tremendously. Some of you are sliding your phone away right now. Think think about application. Something that we do together. It's why we don't race out afterwards where we can begin to talk about. We have our Q&A, normally not this week. But we have like, like did you get that? Because I didn't get that. Can you help me? We do this corporately. We discuss it together. Flesh out some application points. Maybe in a small group setting. Maybe around the lunch table. Maybe your family devotions where there's a nugget. You don't have to take everything at one time, pages of notes. Just take one thing and apply that exposition. Expositional preaching, what brings to this point of application. There's another word here of contextualization of what's happening on the big picture. One of the unique works of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that when we hear the word preached, it's applied to the particular needs of this congregation. Of, of this day, this time, this group of people to our particular culture. This, this probably doesn't work 
someplace else. It doesn't need to. That's not our responsibility. It's this setting. Our struggles that we have as a church, and there are struggles and shortcomings in a way that God is moving amongst us in a very particular, what kind of unique, exact demographics that come to mind. I love the timelessness of God's word. It meets us where we're at today as 21st century believers that live in a postmodern, post-religious, kind of middle class, middle of Pennsylvania setting. Like this. That's why I'm not a huge thing. Like you can get fed. You can hear some good things online. But I tell you what, that's not the same as a message that God works through the contextualization. Or that, 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 that word fits perfectly. Hand in a glove. Isaiah 55, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing which I sent it to. And I just love that. It shall accomplish, and it shall succeed. Lastly, you know what happens? Is that you are given in authority when you receive the word of God. You are granted authority. Preaching in a church should explain should interpret and apply scripture. So in one sense, the authority rests ultimately in scripture, but we know that as sinful human beings, we have a hard time at times explaining or interpreting or applying in our in scripture. And so preaching, in a sense, takes us beyond that. Preaching in a church that is backed, first and foremost, by a united testimony of what? an entire community of believers. There's been tacitly in agreement by the elders. Which means what? If I preach something, or if Aaron were to preach something, or anyone were to preach something that is apart from the word of God, the authority is in your hands to say, excuse me, that doesn't match the rest of scripture. You have a responsibility to speak to that. We're going to deal with this later on. One of the why we do what we do is the authority in the church and, and how we lead. It, it, it's literally referred to in our church as elder-led congregationalism where we talk about the fact that the church assembled together as a whole exercises authority. Jesus thought the keys of the kingdom are given, but yet it's through and executed, led and taught by the authority of the elders. So you have a responsibility when this doesn't match the rest of Scripture, you need to speak up about that. In many ways, the congregation is an authority on doctrinal matters. Thus, we have to have what? Knowledge of Scripture. We have to have confidence. I would hope in the truth that you hear preached in a healthy church because it's backed by what? By your own testimony. It's very, very evident. You've probably had it happen. You can walk into a church if you visit a church and you can very quickly tell if it's a healthy church or not. Very quickly. It's easy. And I think a healthy church is going to be determined upon healthy preaching of the Word of God. As a community of believers, we have and we hold something that does not change. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Good preaching will fuel in a world that is totally shifting and moving. It's crazy. Like, what is happening out there? We stay concise and we stay accurate to the word of the gospel. You have a responsibility not just to listen, to apply, but also pray for and to support. We have to understand that 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 these few moments that we have together are so precious. That, that I was reminded this week that our life is but a mist. It's here one moment and gone the next. And so as we are confronted with the message of the gospel, I'm grateful for today the reminder that we have today as we focus on the subject of preaching. What do we preach? We preach Christ crucified. And we don't move from that. That's who we are as a local church. Part of our own definition 
is that we gather together to remember and celebrate the Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper? Let me remind you, you're not going to get full physically on this. That'll be later on today. But spiritually of utmost importance. Why? Because life moves fast. And as you go a thousand different directions and you are what? In demand and people press on you and want you, we very, very quickly and easily forget that which matters. And that's why regularly we stop everything and we pause and in silence we go to the word of God and are reminded of what Jesus Christ did for us when he was sitting in the upper room that very night that he was betrayed and they're kind of reclined and he took a piece of bread, an object lesson, in addition to the preaching of the word of God. And when what? You, you hold it, you, take, you touch it, you feel it, and you smell it, and you see it, and you taste, and what? Then every single one of your senses are kind of what? We're not going to forget what Jesus Christ did. And Jesus said, this is a picture of my body. My body's going to be broken for you. And he tore the bread. He broke the bread. Turned it around, passed it around, and everyone ate it. He said, just as my body has been broken, so is this bread a picture of that. He says that he took the fruit of the vine and he, he poured it out and they probably drank from a common goblet. But they had one. It was about 13 or 14 people and they passed around and they all took a sip probably from the same cup. Ew! But the idea is what? This is a picture. It's a symbol of Jesus Christ's blood that was poured out on the cross. You, you realize that you and I deserve the pain, the suffering, the agony, and the anguish that Jesus Christ endured. We deserve that. I deserve that. I know the wickedness of my own heart. Deceitfully, desperately wicked. And yet, even us are loved unconditionally. Just as Kimber reminded the little ones of the greatest father ever who offered his own son. Just, just imagine, dads or grandfathers, imagine what? Offering your son's life so that this one over here can live. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. By offering himself as a sacrifice, as an atonement for our sins. But it's not just us hearing that truth. It's now what? It's... It's ingesting that truth. It's believing it. It's living our life every single day grateful. Every single Sunday we gather grateful for the message of God's grace that has been what extraordinarily lavishly just poured out on us. Because we forget it so quickly and so easily, that's why we serve communion. At this church, we believe that Scripture is clear. This is for believers this is not for unbelievers this is not for people that have not put their faith and trust in jesus christ's body and blood that was poured out and sacrificed on the cross if you have not done that this morning if you're not a believer like maybe i'm kind of interested by all means i want to talk with you any one of the elders but i would just politely ask that you not take this as it's being served to you but today is the day of salvation. And we also understand that today is a day that I don't think anybody's shocked or surprised that, hey, guess what? You're a sinner. That you fall short. And God still offers his hand to us to draw us close. And if you want to accept that, then by all means, then, then acknowledge and confess your sin before a holy father. Trust him as Lord and Savior and live every day from this moment onward. You just you, you race out of here telling people the good news of the gospel. You're going to have the elders to come up and some deacons are going to serve you. The way that we do it here, just because it, it, it helps, there's different stations. There's, there's five, six different stations. There'll be elders at each one of these. We're just going to take a moment in silence and just pray in our hearts. Thank the Lord for the gift that he's given to us. And then after a moment or two, I would invite you to go up individually or together as a family to one of these places 
The guys will serve you the bread and the cup. Go back to your seats. We're going to pray together. And then as family eats together, we're going to dine on the bread and the cup that is a picture of Christ's body and blood for us. Gentlemen.
Father, your word is very, very clear in this, in this moment and the solemnness to this moment that we are to, to examine our own hearts first. And so I would pray that you would do that for every one of us here. We do not, Lord, in any way want to be guilty of eating or drinking in an unworthy manner. And so this is a serious moment, and we recognize that. We recognize the cost, the sacrifice, and the pain. We thank you for a body that was broken in our place and your blood that was poured out to atone for all of our sins. We thank you, Lord, for this moment and this bread and this cup that are a picture and a reminder of that. And Lord, as we eat this and drink this, I pray, Lord, that it would just, just drive us to you, motivate us to tell others there's hope, there's forgiveness, and there's life. We thank you for what you're doing amongst us. Pray ultimately that you would be glorified in all things that we do. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says that the Lord Jesus on the night which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this. He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we pray that he comes quickly. Luke, come and close it.